Welcome back to Compassion Revolution podcast, my friends. In this series, we're going to prepare you for the Compassion Revolution conference on the 24th and 25th of October. You can grab your ticket at CompassionRevolution.care. Our theme in 2023 is Making Work Beautiful. Join me and some of our extraordinary speakers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Compassion Revolution podcast. I have with me today Selma Kvist-Muller, and she's a psychologist, a writer, a speaker, and a researcher. Selma's really passionate about cultivating individual, collective, and planetary health, well-being, growth, and justice. And her area of interest and research is around post-traumatic growth. So we're pretty thrilled at Compassion Revolution that Selma has accepted our invitation to fly to Australia from her home in Copenhagen to speak at our fifth Compassion Revolution conference, Making Work Beautiful, which is being held in Melbourne on the 24th and 25th of October. And I'll come back to that and tell you how you can get your tickets. But let's meet Selma. Hi, Selma. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful and thrilled to be here with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you too. Are you at home in Copenhagen? I am. Yep. Beautiful. I always love to ask about the weather. What's the weather like? I, you know what? Danes love to speak about the weather. I was actually almost starting to speak about the weather myself and I stopped myself because I was like, stop, control yourself. That's such a cliche. It's raining. Ah. It's raining. Um, but the sun just started shining now again. So it's summer. Beautiful. And so all Danes, we are like ecstatic at this point of the year because we have we have like winter and darkness you know yeah. for seven eight months of the year so now you know if any of you come to Denmark you will find a very happy people <laughs> <laughs> beautiful beautiful hey you know talking about happy people I was really happy when you agreed to come out to Australia and spend time with us at Making Work Beautiful. And from my side, I was really excited because I knew that we would get to share in your understanding and your research about post-traumatic growth. And it feels like that is mm -hmm. exactly what we need to be talking about at this time in the world. Mm -hmm. But tell me from your side, what intrigues you or excites you about this idea of flying for so long to come to our conference here in Australia? Oh my God, I was so thrilled and honored to get the invitation. Well, making work beautiful and the intersection of compassion in it is, I mean, we spent, what, one third of our lives working? Yeah. Why not make it beautiful? You know, yeah. why not make it beautiful? And the world cries, it, 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 it requires us to step up and start yeah. making something that makes us feel alive that makes a difference yeah and that is done from a state of clear awareness yes so i'm i'm very thrilled about the topic yeah and about exploring what is beautiful work and how can we make work beautiful with you at the conference very excited fantastic i'm look we're getting to meet so many of the speakers it's and it's getting more and more exciting i've been mm -hmm. reading a book 
just over the last few days called Head On. It's a book. The subtitle is How Victorian Nurses and Midwives Confronted COVID. And just for a bit of background for people listening and for you who haven't come across this book, Head On, or the website, um, in March this year, 2023, the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation, the Victorian branch, invited their members, nurses and midwives, to share their stories of working through the COVID-19 pandemic. And so many of them mm. did, and they created this beautiful publication called Head On, How Victorian Nurses and Midwives Confronted COVID. And uh, I think yeah. the book contains uh, 76 of the stories, which will now be contained for all time as a record of that experience. It's wow. a beautiful hardcover book and it captures the courage and the creativity and the commitment of Victoria's nurses and midwives in what was an unprecedented challenge. And so I'm looking at that, um, Selma, and I'm thinking the city of Melbourne has about 5 million people and they experienced mm -hmm. during the COVID pandemic, they experienced six lockdowns. And in total, that was 262 days of uh, yeah. confinement to the home and only being allowed outdoors in public for a very short period of time each day for exercise yeah. within a very close, you know, radius of their home. We've had really great results here in Australia and we've had, we've had very high vaccination coverage in a very low transmission mm -hmm. period. So we've done really, really well. But... We, when I look at those stories, when I read those stories, when I think about the experiences that so many people had during COVID, it feels to me like that's a context that speaks of trauma. And so mm -hmm. I think about things like fear and loss and pain and exhaustion. They're the mm -hmm. kind of things I think about as I'm reading those stories and thinking of trauma. I'd love to mm -hmm. know when you talk about trauma, is that what you're talking about? Like talk to, talk to me a little bit about what trauma means for you and where, whether that experience I've described um, lends itself to that definition. So actually my thesis was exploring post-traumatic growth during the pandemic. Okay. So approaching the pandemic as like, as I see it, a, a global state of, of trauma, a traumatized experience for a lot of people. You can find many different definitions of trauma, but the edge of trauma research right now and trauma definitions are moving away from the older definition where it's like the event itself mm -hmm. that determines whether a traumatic experience is traumatic or not, rather to the effect it has on the people, the group, the organization, the world, the person. People have different vulnerability factors, right? and different coping mechanisms. So some people may be traumatized by a certain experience and other people won't. So this is kind of to see instead of what have a certain experience done to a person or a group of people mm -hmm. and let that be the defining factor of whether something is traumatizing or not. So you can't come and say, no, you know, that bomb, for instance, isn't traumatizing enough for you to be traumatized. So we don't acknowledge that you actually feel traumatized, but we look at, we look at the consequences it has had on people and letting that be the defining factor on whether something is traumatizing or not. 
And then in my research and what I'm really interested in also as a psychologist is also moving a bit away from a traumatizing experience, like one event, because what about more complex forms of trauma? Mm -hmm. What about cultural trauma? What about, what about global trauma, like the current state of the planet? Mm. We're in a constant state of like, okay, the world, the, our planet is deteriorating. You know, species are dying. We are in danger. This isn't like one event. This is multiple events. What about racism, sexism, discrimination? You can't isolate it to one event. What about intergenerational trauma? Trauma that is transmitted to us through epigenetics, right? What we know now from, from research at certain trauma experience through the changes in epigenetics, I'm going to talk more about this. It can actually be transferred up to seven generations after the initial trauma. Wow. What about these forms of trauma? Mm. You know, that's really interesting. So we're moving away from the event to the experience of an mm. event, and then no one yeah. else can be the, the judge. Effect the effect people. of the event. So then, no yeah. one else can be the judge of whether uh, I'm I have experienced trauma, except mm. my experience of the event. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be how we would approach it. That would be how I would approach it as a psychologist. Mm. I would look at, well, what has, you know, what do I see with you? You know, what are the consequences that you're living with? The after effects of an event or events or what is happening in your body. and You don't know why or the way that you react on different people or your emotional responses, your behaviors, all of these things. And letting that be the defining factor instead of the event itself. Which is really interesting because it's made me think of something else somewhere, and that is different jurisdictions or different states in Australia had a different experience of COVID. And so I mm -hmm. live in South Australia, in Adelaide in South Australia, where we had very little lockdown and very, mm. compared to the other states, low transmission rates. But we... Mm -hmm. still find that we have many people in the workforce, in the healthcare workforce, who tell us that they're experiencing uh, trauma. And then I yeah. sometimes yeah. hear people in leadership positions trying to get their heads around that and they'll say things like, but it yeah. didn't yeah. actually happen here. Like I get it why they'd be uh. traumatised there, but here, mm -hmm. what's that? And it's helping me see that it's even the mm -hmm. fear of what might happen mm, can be yeah, as, yeah, yeah, yeah. the experience of that can be as traumatizing as what actually happens, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm. And secondary trauma is a huge thing too. A traumatic event isn't necessarily something we have experienced ourselves personally in our body. It can be through observing others' trauma, it can be through listening, being a witness of. That's a huge thing. We, we often see that, you know, it's a, it's a very well-known concept through uh, or amongst healthcare workers, such as nurses and psychologists and other people working, you know, and, and observing being a part of trauma without it being happening on their body. You can definitely become traumatized by that too. Yes. Now, you said something a little bit earlier that I am so, so interested in, and I know we'll hear more about this when you come out to Australia and we have time mm -hmm. with you at the conference, but epigenetics. Just give 
us a little bit of an understanding about this, which we now know through science and research, Mm -hmm. this transference Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. experience of trauma epigenetically? So we know that we are born, we all are born with DNA, right? And the DNA is what it is. You can't change your DNA. Or I know like actually there is some research trying to, that's a whole different story, but you have the DNA you have, right? (laughs) And uh, it determines, you know, the color of your skin, your eye color, X, Y, and C. What we found out is that on top of the DNA string are proteins called epigenetics. And epigenetics can actually decide how much or how little of the DNA is being exposed or like coming out in a sense. So it can suppress certain parts of the DNA or it can bring certain parts of the DNA up to the surface in a sense. And epigenetics are affected or influenced or it can be changed by experiences, by food. And so they can actually adapt to the environment. So an example was during the Holocaust amongst the Holocaust survivors in the concentration camps. They would almost get no food, right? They were starving. And so the epigenetic factors as a response to the environment could kind of change or adapt the DNA in a sense so that their body would hold on to fat more effectively because this would increase their chances of survival, Mm -hmm. right? And what we found is that this change through epigenetic factors on the DNA string can actually be transferred up to seven generations after this initial trauma. It's quite incredible, isn't it? And that's just one example of one thing that can impact. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. And I wonder how epigenetics are going to be informed, suppressed, or activated through this global experience of pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we also talk about vulnerability factors through epigenetics, right? Because what about, for instance, racism and sexism? What vulnerability factors do we have in our bodies through epigenetics and the changes they've had to make through the environment that they've been living in, the reality they've been through. Oh, we're going to love this conversation when you come out. But I want to move <laughs> us to what comes after trauma. Yeah. So I, I just want us to talk a little bit about the idea of post-traumatic growth. And yeah. you have a particular way of understanding post-traumatic growth that I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk to us just a little bit about that? Absolutely. I would often find in the research literature you know, you would talk about resolving a trauma or trauma healing, you know, and as this sort of end destination, you know, you have a trauma and then you kind of have healing and then bam, you've arrived at the end destination of healing. So I just wanted to challenge a bit this notion of this end destination as being the goal always, you know, Mm. that the goal of the life is to be without challenges and to heal a trauma in a sense. And, and while that's important, post-traumatic growth is, well, what is there 
for us to learn from the challenges we go through, from the crisis, the traumas, the adverse experiences, in a way that brings us to somewhere else than where we were before. So post-traumatic growth is, you know, I'm very inspired by this worldview of wabi-sabi. Do you know it? Mm -hmm. So this Japanese worldview of, you know, you would, for instance, have a piece of ceramics. And when a piece of ceramics starts deteriorating and it gets cracks in the surface, you don't throw it out or find it ugly. You actually find it more beautiful because of its imperfection. And to highlight it, you not only just repair the cracks, you pour gold into the cracks. And I kind of see crisis and challenges and trauma the same way. How can they reveal to us, they are kind of like, how can they become cracks of openings mm. into insights that we wouldn't have had if not for the challenging experience? So it's, it's actually finding a sense of meaning with this disturbance that a trauma or a crisis revealed to us. Because once we are exposed to a trauma or a crisis or an adverse experience, you're kind of forced to stop and look at where you are, look at your reality, look at who you are. The life that you were living before is being disturbed, right? It's being disrupted. And in that disruption, there can be deep insights of wisdom. So post-traumatic growth differs from resilience. And resilience can be defined in many different ways. One way of defining it is a person's ability to continue living life as they did or as they used to do in spite of the challenges or the crisis they go through. So a person's ability to bounce back to living life as they did before, right? That's typically a resilient person. In spite of the challenges I go through, I can continue living my life as I did or as I do. While that's important, post-traumatic growth is a person or a group of people or an organization or a planet. You can zoom it in or zoom it out on any scale you would want to. Mm -hmm. But a person's ability to bounce beyond what was before the trauma, not in spite of, but because of the trauma and the challenging experience. So how can we pause for a moment and let the challenging experience reveal to us insights about ourselves, about people, about relationships, about the current state of the planet, about our values, about the meaning in life that we wouldn't necessarily have had if not for this disturbance and this crisis? It's so profound and so beautiful because when you say we can zoom it in or zoom it out, I'm even thinking about so many things that were revealed to us during the COVID pandemic globally. So exactly. many injustices, exactly. Uh, exactly. so much inequality um, was just like exactly. writ large. It wasn't that we didn't know it, although some people may say they didn't, but we'd, we'd buried it. And the yeah. trauma gives us an opportunity to say, what might the world look like? in yeah. spite of this because or not in spite actually mm. because we've had this opportunity that is an opening or exactly. a crack it becomes a container exactly. to pour gold into exactly exactly so in the face of the pandemic it wouldn't be 
you know, figuring out how can we get back to continue living life as we did before, before COVID, the world before COVID. Because the reality is, you know, one thing that is for sure, it's changes. You know, changes happens all the time, right? Our brain, your brain, my brain looks different after our conversation than before our conversation. Changes happen all the time. So how can the pandemic, how has it revealed to us realities we might not have seen mm. if not for this pandemic, mm -hmm. as you say, right? How has it revealed to us insights about how we wish to live our lives, how we wish to spend our lives? And so how can we move beyond what was before the mm -hmm. pandemic because mm -hmm. of the pandemic, right? How can we integrate it and let ourselves be changed and transformed? Yeah. How can it teach us things we might not have been taught if not for this global pandemic that we all were a part of yeah. and faced? If not for this experience. I'm going to ask you yeah. to share one other little thing that really intrigued me, Selma, when we last spoke, and that was the connection between activism and mm -hmm. uh, growth, post-trauma growth. Yeah. Um, I just, yes. just give us a tiny little kind of understanding of that because since we spoke and you ex kind of explained that to me, I've looked a little differently at some of my friends and acquaintances who have had ex traumatic experiences and some mm -hmm. of the ways that activism has played a huge role in their mm -hmm. growth. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about yeah. that connection. What I'm exploring, right, as a psychologist is how can we help people grow in the face of trauma, right? Heal and grow from trauma. And what factors might help this growth? And that's what I've included in my model. And I was very inspired by a huge body of research showing that being of service to something larger than the soul of self is a major source towards healing and experiencing well-being yourself. So it's kind of seen as these positive spirals, right? Doing something good for others, yeah. help yourself and as well as others. And I know also I, I experienced from my own life that sometimes if I'm in a dark place, the thing that actually helps the most is reaching out and being a benefit to something or someone larger than myself. It takes me out of my own misery and it kind of expands my perspective on my own suffering. What I'm intrigued by is how can we transform our experience of trauma into a way that helps other people or helps other. And there's a fascinating study done by Ortega Williams about uh, she investigated black youth organizers in New York City who had all been experiencing racism growing up in New York City. Mm -hmm. And what she found was that once they became a part of these youth organizing groups working towards ending racism in New York City, the way that they were able to take the traumatic experience of being racialized themselves into efforts of ending racism in New York City was a direct pathway towards post-traumatic growth. So it's really, and, and obviously we wanted to, there is, always the risk of burnout mm -hmm. in activism and that's huge 
uh, burnout is huge, unfortunately, um, amongst many burnout groups, no, activism groups. So that's why, you know, in my work, I work with trauma-informed mindfulness because it needs always to be a balance, right? Like we need to be aware of where we are in our own nervous system. When do we need to to, to turn inward and when do we need to turn outward? Really, the whole thing about transforming one's own experience of trauma and in that trauma healing, transforming it into ways of service, kind of like what fungi does, right? Ah. Fungi takes what we, they can actually take what we see as garbage and transform it into food that nourishes and adds to the spiral of life. What a beautiful, beautiful example. I lo- I could talk about fungi all day, so um, we, we, we better not get started on that. Selma, <laughs> I am so happy that we got this opportunity to talk and for you to be a guest on the podcast. I know it. Uh, people are going to find it as fascinating as I have, and it just gives us a sense of excitement for what you're going to bring to us when you come to Melbourne and we're going to get to hear yeah. more about the model that you've developed. So I am super excited. Can't I wait to see you. I am not excited. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> we only just got started and we have two days to explore these amazing topics and I can't wait. It's going to be great. And the beautiful thing is uh, you're going to join up with Dr. Sarah King and do some work collectively. And I know you two know each other really well, which is how I um, got to meet yeah. you. So uh, Sarah will be coming on yeah. the podcast a little bit later. And gosh, I can't wait to see you in person. So stay I can't wait to see safe. you in person yeah. everyone else. Stay well <laughs> and uh, travel safe. And I will see you mm-hmm. and your family when you're in Australia in October. Absolutely. We can't wait. 